Welcome to the latest episode of The Grower and The Economist. I'm Michelle Klieger, The Economist. And I'm Peter Kanjoyan, The Grower. Each week, we team up to tackle the biggest challenges facing small and medium-sized growers. We're one part grower and one part economist, just like your business. Welcome to this episode of The Grower and The Economist. This week, we are joined by Aaron Allison, co-founder of SBI Software. Thank you, Aaron, for joining us. Hello. Thank you for having us on. Well, I was walking the trade floor at Cultivate this year, nervously, before our session, Peter, and ran into the SBI team. And they have some software for inventory management. And I know that this is a scary topic, but I think for a lot of our listeners, but what I really like about this discussion and what I'm really excited about is a lot of the shrinkage and dumping and, you know, sales topics that we talk about all the time and are really a good intersection for where Peter and I think come together. And Aaron adds this like whole other level. And I think might even make it easier for people. So I am excited. And Aaron, let's start with a little about you and your company. Sure. My tech experience started back way back in 1983. I started working in tech. I started working selling into Russia and the Baltic states, like basically computer systems. My first sale was to the Church of Romania. So that was an interesting childhood. And then I went on the school for mechanical engineering and, and my family, uh, we pay for half the school and our family pays for half the school. So my luck would have it. I started brokering nursery stock from Southern New Jersey up into New York City by where I was going to school in Newark, New Jersey, uh, NJIT. And I started brokering nursery stock down into Washington, D.C. What came of that was I was blown away by how kind and helpful and nurturing a lot of the business people I work with and was buying nursery stock from to the point that they would help me in any way, shape or form to succeed. And once they realized I was really right for the input and wanted the help and the advice, they really leaned in, even giving me like 90 day terms on product and lots of different ways to help me thrive. So I fell in love with the nursery business and I started a nurse a container nursery in secret while still in college and then later on revealed that to my family hey you know I, i've got a nursery their reaction was why do you want to be a farmer and what the heck are you thinking <laughs> so as time went on i was really fortunate uh, to have senator nursery in the area and a great grower ray blue and then when he realized i wasn't going to go away he agreed to meet every sunday for an hour or two and to kind of keep give me advice and keep me out of trouble. And that was really the turning point for my operation. You know, there were, there were lots of what he called really dumb ideas I brought to the table. And then there were some ideas he thought would be good. Um, having that senior person look over and having him help. And, you know, in the end, he even gave me templates for welding and creating greenhouses, shared and buying media, that kind of stuff. So uh, that was a turning point for really making things profitable. I was also buying in nursery stock from Oregon. After visiting Oregon, I came to worship like the Willamette Valley. I couldn't believe that every time we bought product there, it came in oversized. So hey, hey to Oregon, that that was pretty unusual. They always got things that were bigger than what you asked for. 
So then my plan then became to sell the nursery in South Jersey and move out to Oregon and restart a nursery there. Once I moved out to Oregon, I was working for a software company that was providing software for growers. And then a, a childhood friend, Tim Morita, and I started doing custom work for growers on, on software systems. And then the idea was born like, hey, we could do this. And so we bought source code for an inventory and accounting package and then started heavily modifying it in 2001. We were a little naive. We thought we would modify the package for a little bit and then we could just ship it for years to come. And uh, we are still innovating the package today because the market continues to change. The demand for how people want to do things change and you have to keep up with those things. So started SBI in April of 2001 and we've been working to make it a great package ever since. Really for growers, in a broad term for what our package does, it's seed to sale for growers because you can go from forecasting sales to all the way to shipping and getting paid for the product. But the main focus of our package has always been inventory visibility. It's a real issue out there. There's lots of software you can use, but too much of the software is really heavy in daily labor in order to do that. With the live goods inventory, You've got to be really nimble on inventory control and even more active because that lack of inventory visibility will hurt your sales, hurt your costs, and uh, really impact the business. So making things visible at the right times and when they'll be saleable, that's something we're always focusing on and always improving. Aaron, I especially appreciate hearing how you're working at this. You started from the inside of the industry as a grower. And yeah. let, I, I'm, I'm interested in... Your take on this, in my opinion, having been on both sides similarly, I consider it invaluable that you understand their way of life and it's helped you do what you're doing. Yeah, well, I mean, the biggest thing is there's just not enough time. So everything we introduce has to be very practical, pragmatic, easy to apply, add to it. Like since COVID, turnover has really increased it's even harder to have uh, people that know the business. All these factors are really pushing up against like their their ability to manage that inventory. Yep. So, Michelle, as you and I are often say, Aaron, unapologetically, we're focused on small and medium sized operations, be they farm, greenhouse, and nurseries. Um, can you address is is your product is what you're doing? applicable and feasible, you know, for their reality of a small operation? Yes. I mean, that's really our focus is on the smaller side. And then many of them grow in size. We've had many people start under a million in sales a year. And then, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years later, they're at 8 million, 9 million, or start at a million or 2 million and then double and triple that in size. You know, we also are releasing Another version of our software called Sprout that's purely cloud-based where you can go in and get the whole thing started yourself. You don't have to be technical. And that's focused even more on the smaller growers because there's still like for people getting started, there's not a place to start. With Sprout, our new cloud uh, package, or our software is purely on the cloud. Small growers are going to go in, sign up, post back and forth with QuickBooks, and start that whole process at even a smaller scale. There are only so many top 100 growers or the largest growers. 
you know, Oregon has 2,000 growers, which most of them are what we would call mom and pop size. That's our favorite size. And so we are working to uh, better serve that market because some of our software can start a little bit out of range for, for who they are. Yeah, that's refreshing to hear, Aaron. Thanks, okay. thanks for sharing that. I just want to dive in a little bit on the inventory visibility. Can you explain what that means and why growers care about it? Sure. Now, I can't take credit for the word. I'm not a real wordsmith, but James Russell from Armstrong Growers many years ago came back and said, what you cured for us was inventory visibility. And I thought, that sounds like something I should listen to. He said that you, you we, we brought down the labor it took to have an accurate availability. And so for for us, inventory visibility is like, what's the lowest cost method of tracking what's going on with that inventory out there and grading it or capturing the status of it that it's useful for sales, that they can sell right off that information. So this really naturally fit for online orders. You know, we, we're, we're very, we try to be very innovative at SBI. So sometimes we get ahead of ourselves. You know, we were like really ramped up about online orders in 2003. And then like nothing happened for like 10 years. Barely anyone used it. Although I have to give credit for F&B growers out of Oregon embracing it immediately. And the whole thing was like what we cared with inventory visibility flowed right into making online orders work and be an amazing tool for getting orders in either through the sales reps or through the customers because you know, curing inventory visibility solves a lot of problems for the growers. It, it, number one, it, it makes it so you can book it and know when to expect it. You can book it in advance or you're good on open availability. Again, inventory visibility is just a broad term, but it's like always letting know that it's letting know what targets, you know, is available when and when it matters so that people can get access to the information. We're even seeing online where Customers are no longer hiding the ready dates or hiding the grade, and they're giving the customer all the information. Hey, this won't be ready for another month. It's only 30% of the normal size. Hey, the customer's like, well, I'm so desperate for this product. I will take that product right now. So we're even seeing some of the ambitious growers revealing even more inventory sooner before it's even ready and customers appreciating that and they're using the tool to make that decision for themselves whether they take that or not early. Sounds like the opposite side of the crop scheduling. You know, we talked a lot about in the beginning of your season deciding how much to start and planning forward and this is almost like tracking that. Okay, on this date you can expect to have this many plants available and on the next month you have this so you can see where everything is. So yeah, with our production plantings, you're right. When you plant it, it'll forecast the ready date based on the recipe and the grow times. Although we always say production planning is just a plan. It's not whatever happens. <laughs> so we always say like, hey, once you plant it, it's an availability thing. So like if I plant a tree, that's not going to be sellable for four years. We're not going to focus on that very much right now. We might go check on that annually. We might even just track that by the date it was planted just so we know the age so like a lot of things may get planted, but they're not going to be sellable for quite a while. Well, we're going to hyper focus on what's about to be sellable or what is still considered sellable and make sure that information is really accurate. If we do that, then mechanisms like online orders, auto allocation, a lot of 
what we see is like the more we work on inventory visibility, the lower the costs go down in the rest of the business. And we've also said, and we've also, I tried to coin the term, a nickel spent on inventory will give you a dime in sales. I mean, it's, it's dramatic. It's much more than that. I don't really know how to capture it, but for our customers that take inventory visibility seriously, or going out and doing weekly availability, and and going and using some common practice to make that very quick, their sales always go up because they you know they spend much less time taking an order than figuring out if they do or do not have it. They're more taking that order because they said they do have it, and then we're grabbing it. So we often say move the steering wheel to inventory control. Stop trying to steer your business with going and checking what orders are viable. That's too late. Mm -hmm. And another thing is on pre-booking. Like you can survive a lot of things if you find out early. If it's when you go to ship that product, you're going to find out you don't have it or it's not saleable. Now you have an, an angry customer or a disappointed customer. If we found out earlier, we might be able to dealt, deal with it and do something different. So we still consider that inventory visibility. You know, I have a thousand to sell. I expect a loss of fifty. I have nine hundred and fifty saleable product. I have eight hundred booked on orders. They're expecting at these dates. All of that to us is what we call inventory visibility. So that does include orders as well. Aaron, I want to make sure that I'm understanding correctly. So my my wheelhouse in the greenhouse has been ornamental crops for a good part of my career. Okay. Or in the uh, nursery side of sector of horticulture, you are presenting as a wholesaler with retail nursery garden center customers, or that's what it sounded like to me. My experience has been as a retail garden center operator, grower, seller. So okay. tell me a little bit about how, how you can apply or shift gears to tell me how, if I were still running a retail grow and sell greenhouse operation, how, how I'm going to benefit. So the real benefit would be, you know, just getting down to basics would be mobile inventory control. I could go out on my phone or a tablet yeah. and I can see exactly what the system says and exactly what I have on the ground and I can correct on the fly. That That's the most basic. We call that a foundational app, our inventory mobile app which can run in Spanish or English. It's We can go in and we can configure that app to allow only certain functionality by user, which means also we can strip away the noise, the parts you don't use. And inventory mobile control is really the secret to good inventory because okay. you don't want to have to go out, write it down, and come back. You know, unfortunately, like when I was, when I was in my youth, I was getting excited about computer science and computers, what they could do for you. I never realized that we would really be struggling to update a virtual system for what's happening in the real world. And that's essentially what we try to improve is making it easier to update your system to match your inventory. Yep. Okay. Uh, so, Michelle, in, indulge me for a second. You you brought up the, the word shrinkage and crop loss five minutes ago. Aaron, I spent about 10 years of my career researching sh crop shrinkage and helping fellow growers understand. I, I called it, my, my coin phrase is silent assassin. As That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Crop shrinkage. Okay. So 
now you you just mentioned walk in and out, write it down, go in the house. Michelle, how many times in our podcast have have I described how in my garden center days I was I considered myself underdressed if I didn't have a shirt, Aaron, with a pocket where I had index cards and a pen. And I'm all day long, I'm writing down which sewing of impatience to which cultivar and color I have uh, ready or too many of or not enough of, and then going back into the computer sometimes. So you're, you're making my life that much easier. I think you're saying we can capture all that same detail, but it's going to save you time. And, and let me just tie it together before I hand it back to you. Michelle is helping me understand that technology and small farms and greenhouses, it's not always about return on investment. She's helping to broaden my uh, view and, and look at it as buying time, installing technology so that I have more time. And Aaron, you just said something to that effect. So now I'm going to hand it back to you. Yes. Yeah, so that that's the thing it, it when you when you first switch from a piece of paper to the mobile app at first you can be like oh this is a little slower i'm not used to this so it's like it's like swinging a golf club or trying to wakeboard the first time it's awkward it doesn't feel natural but as you practice that it's going to accelerate and get much faster you're going to eliminate some steps that are just not really required and you're going to essentially when you walk back in your system's going to be updated and so you know, bridging that gap, when we get people to do that hurdle to commit to it and get it to stick, again, the first thing is often when we try new things, we don't try it long enough to see the benefit. So we, you know, when we switch to something like inventory mobile, we we have to like really commit to it. We have to get our team to say, hey, if, if we get this kicked in, our life's going to be easier. We have to show our team like what the rewards are going to be because we do need buy-in from everybody. But once you get that kicked in and you really get it moving, um, you're going to have a much more accurate inventory because it's just less work. Part of what happens with the paper trail is sometimes you can't even keep up. You're not getting it entered in fast enough to the rate that the inventory is changing. Another term that came from James Russell at Armstrong Growers, got to give full credit, is like he said doing inventory for a grower or for a retail grower is like tracking shifting sand. So in order to track shifting sand, you need something to be pretty quick about it. And that's part of the problem is like a lot of software out there, uh, the juice isn't worth the squeeze. You spend so much time and then for like an instant, your your system's accurate and then it's out of whack again. And then you just snowball falling back into bad habits of just going out and manually counting. And that's because most software, the labor, the daily labor to run it is just too high. Um, that's why like we spend a lot of time on clicks, you know, my kids often ask me, what do you do for a living? And I say, I try to reduce clicks on a computer. And then they laugh. They're rolling on the ground saying how dumb my job is. And I think, wait till you grow up and you're sitting at that computer. You're going to flash back to, wow, this is just too many clicks. So, <laughs> Aaron, you're, Okay, so for our listeners, Aaron, you and I are of a similar generation. I'm, I'm – up maybe 10 years older than you are. Michelle's the baby of the group and doesn't understand what we're about to talk about. <laughs> but um, Aaron, in, in shifting from the paper, as you described, to the package, to the software, yep. um, uh, in, I'm of the opinion that those of us who've done it the old way, the, the, the paper, 
will have a deeper appreciation once we learn how to operate and and use your software as you say get over that inertial hump where it might take a little longer initially yeah it's awkward it be true yeah I, I i think you know to, uh, i agree with you you tend to appreciate wow how much quicker this is and then you you might use that to your advantage to try to attack other things that you couldn't before I, I do think sometimes when i show up and i see an operation doing it on paper and their inventory is pretty good i realize wow, this is such a great team. They're keeping up. Yeah, and This yeah. is so hard. I can't imagine once they get inventory mobile in how much better it's going to be, how much the labor is going to go down. I, I agree with you. I often see the paper trail and that process we're replacing, and often I can say, wow, this is a great team because they're managing it, but it's a lot. So sounds like you get the ability to level up, right? If you went to the field and you were just tracking it, I've talked to you before, so I've got a few tidbits to throw in. But if if you can log why that is no longer available, you're getting more information, right? When you go in the field, you might be counting the number of, you know, impatience that are going to be available or where they are or what color they are. But I think with the system, you can say these 10 died and here's the reason. And so now you're, you're capturing more information in the same amount of time as well. Yeah. See, okay. So most software, there's not a dump or discard feature. It's mostly, I had a hundred, now I'm counting 90 and they're going to want you to explain the difference. With our software, dumps is a real thing or discards, whatever you're going to call it. And when we dump, one of the most popular things is to have a dump reason. And that's because we can later report on what's going on for most of those losses. Because we can put a, we can put a dollar value on those reasons. And often when you start tracking like that, it's a lot like your credit card bill. It adds up to a lot more than you thought. And you're a little bit in disbelief. Another part with dumps and discards is because it's not a part of our standard way of life with widgets and widget inventory, but it sure is with live inventory, is that gap accounting is when you do a dump, they want you to post that cost of goods to GL at that time which we think is really bogus. If I bought a thousand of a plant and I dumped 500, I would prefer to drive the cost of those remaining 500 up to double because that's the real cost of those plants you're selling. And so gap accounting says post to GL cost of goods. We like to take the dump value and put it on the remainder of the plants. You know, we're still gonna track like what you dumped and what your loss was. But when you go to sell those other plants, we've had people call be like, why on earth is this double? Well, it's like you dumped half the plants. The real cost of that is twice that amount. So gap accounting doesn't even really help us in live goods to track the real cost. That's one of the unfortunate parts of business. So, so Michelle, from your expertise as an economist, and, and, and I'm trying to marry things that I've been describing in my experience and, and trying to square them up with what Aaron is telling us. And I think, you tell me if I'm right or wrong, Michelle, I think he and I are kind of approaching it with a similar philosophy where anything that gets dumped, Aaron, and I agree with you, I think it's invaluable to have a reason because if it's the weather, 
we really don't have reason to adjust next year's quantities. But if it's that the demand wasn't there, you know, we, so we need that information. Kudos that that you've got that reason there. And M- Michelle, if if I keep saying anything we dump is erasing profit from Aaron, the rule that I've you learned and and find to be accurate is every plant that we dump erases the profit from two and a half plants sold at full price. I think we're saying the same thing with different words. Is that right, Michelle? You are. And, and that's why like, you know, again, like what's the real margin? It's, it's real ambiguous and it's, it's hard on, on people running these systems. I mean, and you talk about dumps, you know, it was dumped because of disease or was dumped because we didn't sell it. Are we overbuying? On the other side, we track lost sales. Like they asked for a thousand, we can only give 800. Instead of just looking at sales history and just repeating what we always did, I sold 800 last year. Wouldn't it be nice to know I could have sold 200? Yeah. And on the other end of that, you might have a big landscaper come in, buy up 2,000 or something, and you want to ignore that sale the following year. So there's all sorts of, you know, different things that come up in this situation. Yeah. But, you know, knowing why you dumped. And what matters for driving up, like maybe ordering more or ordering less, that's key. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. Good. And then the other thing is like knowing you're short sooner. You know, if you run out, it's you're too late. And so knowing the velocity and, and the dumps and having that real picture of inventory visibility. I think on both of those, it's huge, right? Whether it's ease or understanding, you, you want one number. You want your average cost and it's not always reflective and that makes you make not the best decisions. If you're underestimating the cost or the profitability because you're throwing away items and not counting them, you know, dispersing the, the, those costs across your others, everything looks more profitable than it is. It's, and- it's really tricky. Yeah. You know, one other thing, and I don't know if this is really done anymore. It was popular for us for a while, but like when we dumped, if we had stuff coming in by alias UPC, meaning I have one inventory item in the system, I'm buying it from four different vendors. So I can associate those four different UPCs to one item in my system. So that I'll have like multiple items in there. And so when I, one thing that we was popular many years ago, but kind of fell off was like when I dumped, I could associate the vendor with that dump and I can negotiate with that vendor moving forward with that dump information. Like, hey, I lose a lot of your product or we had issues with a lot of your product. Can you help me out on this next shipment? So, you know, knowing what vendor you're scanning was popular when we had a lot of alias, what we call alias UPCs on there. That means like different vendor UPCs can be associated with a single inventory item in the system. So that was popular too, but that kind of fell away. Seeing it all in one place, I, you know, work not just with plants, but with other, you know, commodities and things that break down. And those are definitely pieces that people that have been managing inventory for a long time pay attention to. They okay. know you send me one out of every 10 boxes is damaged and that's a product I can't sell. Like when I go back and do my cost or sales for the next round, I've got to count that I'm only going to sell nine boxes, not all 10. And so those pieces, it's sort of the, I mean, Peter and I are always, you know, pushing people to start somewhere, start collecting any of this information. And if a, you know, software system like this one makes it easier, 
great, go for it. And like the entry level is understanding the cost and the dumps and the why and adjusting your, your business. But the next level is to really make these tweaks and say this you know, person is rejecting X number and that's increasing my cost or I'm dumping this many and that's increasing it or I missed out on this sale. One of the things when Peter was saying that he went to go count all the items, I was sort of thinking about the other way. Suddenly he had 15 extra plants and the team inside is selling them and didn't realize they could have sold more for this giant order that just came in and had to turn it down. And so that real time allows you to have people working concurrently and have the best information. We do have people that initially orders will come in, they can't supply all of it. They flag some of it as lost sales. Then all of a sudden inventory becomes available. It's pretty common for our customer base to call back and reach back out to those customers and start to you know go back against lost sales because it became up available. That is another key thing that does happen. If we were to go linear too, the other thing is landed costs. Like we can roll the freight onto the inventory item. That's another one where we're like, we really encourage the customer to always, uh, you know, you enter in your freight on receiving and then hit a button to have it roll into the inventory items so that your cost of inventory coming in includes freight. That's another line item. I don't like being separated on the GL. It really should roll into the cost of the plant directly. Oh boy, Aaron, you just struck a chord with me. Like we're kind of living a lie if freight is separated. It's not the real cost of the plant. Okay. And freight is huge. Well, yes. Okay. So, again, small growers, all right? Yeah. That's, that's, that's my focus. That's our, our focus with the podcast. So, Aaron, I've had the conversation with Michelle. When, when small growers want to incorporate new genetics, new cultivars, oftentimes, let's say it's a, a – a, rooted cutting of a vegetative item where you're buying a plug tray with a hundred rooted cuttings. Okay. And I only need one of those trays, right? I can't handle more than that. So I came to justify the expensive freight to get that one tray of cuttings to me. And more, more people are telling me I'm incorrect in the, fault, the, the assumption I'm about to share with you. I decided long ago because my mom, who chose the colors and shades and items, uh, I wanted to give her everything she wanted. So we wanted to keep up with all the new genetics, right? New cultivars every year. So I came to justify the freight for these onesies that I have in my orders and I say, okay, I'm going to take that freight and just put it into overhead. I'm, because if I assign it to just that one crop and it eats into the profitability, I might say this wasn't worth growing. And, you know, next year it might grow into 10 trays of a cutting. And, and you know, I, the way you're looking, I, I think you're going to agree with most that I propose this to. I did with a top 100 grower in, in your former state of New Jersey, uh, QPAC, Bill Swanekamp. Wow, what a great place. Okay. Yeah, yeah and, and he said, Peter, no, that's not the right way to do it. But I said, Bill, if I have to justify it and apply that to that, you know, that one little crop, why am I even going to grow it? So go ahead. What, what's, your, what's your take or advice? 
I mean, I, I agree with you 100. I, I would always roll in the free. I would, I would, you still could justify that item. I mean, it's perennial of the year and people are fighting over it. Yeah. Then it doesn't matter what it costs because it's going to generate sales of other products. So, you know, that part right there mathematically is hard to build the case for other than we know that's a reality. If it's certain plants that are just really popular that year, you, you need to have them there regardless of being profitable or not. Yeah. Because it brings people in. Right. Yeah. Now, you know, my business partner is a math major and like everything can be proven through math. But like some of those things, I, I just don't know how, you know, we try to mathematically justify everything, but there are certain things we just have to leave off the table. Yeah. That situation seems to be one of you're not going to if if it's you can't sell it for retail to make money on perennial of the year, you're still going to get it. Right. So yeah. you can't have the hot items that people are calling in for because you know, when I go there, I, I buy the one item that maybe Kira wanted. And then like, I'm like, I end up with, I come home with like seven more plants and one even part of the plan. Yeah. That's what that's there for is that what's that? The lost leader, as you call it, you know, so I, I'm with you hundred percent, but it still may be justified even when you see that landed cost. Okay. No. And again, landed costs on a five t- 12 tray versus a two eighty eight. Okay. an 1801 is starting to get pretty high. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it just depends on the quantity there, but. We think we should always be brutally honest here at SBI, like what our costs are, what's the impact. It's not always like cozy, doesn't always feel good, but in the end we feel okay making the decision overriding something like that if we were honest with really how it's landing. I would never fudge the numbers, but there'd still be good reason for those products. You know, I, I would always go landed. Okay, good, good. And Michelle, I'm, I'm going to just uh, switch gears slightly Knowing that we have some listeners who are strictly farming and edible crops, um, outdoor vegetables and and fruits, Aaron. So you and I and Michelle have been focused largely during this conversation on nursery and ornamental, you know, greenhouse, greenhouse crops, flowers and shrubs. Do you target the farmer? Is is the product uh, applicable to produce and a farm? It is applicable. We've never chased that market. We've often looked at that market because we, we're out of the box. We're a really good match for it. I do think our product, in order to be really competitive there, it's just on the packing end. We need a little bit because it's all about packing those bins, right, quantity by bin. And like that, that's they have to operate that way because of the amount of volume they'll ship. Yeah. Um, so we, we have taken a look at like that area of our software and see what we could do there to be competitive. But as far as everything else in the system, it would match right out of the box. Yeah. And I, I do feel like maybe they have different verbiage and diff- and some different twists as far as issues and things that they track, but it still does come down to an inventory issue and managing costs around that. There would be definitely nuances we'd need to learn to be good in that market though. Right. Okay. So to go after a market like that, we know we need to go sit somewhere because we can't do it remote. We have to live it. Yeah. So we've talked about like maybe teaming up with somebody and then spending a lot of time on site because we feel like that's the only way to be good for our customers. I, I again, kudos that, that you see it from the inside out where too many in agriculture try and come in from the outside in. I mean, that, oh. that's happening in the cannabis market with, you know, all over the place with big investors coming in thinking they understand. So, Aaron, you've confirmed for me a, a, a phrase that I use a lot with Michelle is over my career, I've now reached the point where 
a plant is a plant is a plant. Doesn't matter whether it's a nursery shrub or a poinsettia or a cannabis plant, or for that matter, a tomato or pepper plant. So I think if the product is a cucumber or an impatience or a juniper, uh, it's all similar. And I think you're confirming that. Yes, it's just that where things vary is sometimes like we deal with uh, forestry type growers too, where they can't, they're not going to deal with anything less than a pallet. They're going to move pallets of product all the time. So our unit measure has to be flexible that we can be at each or case or bin or pallet in order to work in those different markets. That's some of what it is because their volume might be really high. They're not going to ever do a real tight each's analysis. Um, and some of that's true on produce, as I believe, too. But we still have a lot to learn there. That Everything we see there was like by case or bin. Yep. You know, nothing was going out as eaches. You know what? I'm, I'm squinting, Aaron, and envisioning uh, knowing that th there is a segment of our small grower population across the country that is mixed and has in the spring bedding plants with greenhouses and then moves out to the farm for the summertime. And as you're evolving and you, if you maintain your focus on the small operation, I could see very shortly where you're going to be able to address that one operation's dual needs. And that was something that like we've already really done that where they have a retail garden center operation and a wholesale operation. Yep. Often we work with people who have wholesale, landscape yard and retail and we can give visibility between all those operations. So if anybody's checking inventory, they can see what the other sites have or what they could potentially pull in the future. So that is something we're good at when you have different business type or entities across. That's one of our strengths. And I do think with the new Sprout product, the entry, the, the cost to entry is much lower and they can self-serve a, a lot further. And it would work across the, those situations you speak of as well. So that's some of our hope. Um, but one thing we just want to be careful of is like trying to be too many things yep. too many people can ruin it for everyone. We, and we've, ex we've experienced that and had to pull back over the years in certain areas. Okay. All right. You know, sometimes you want to give every, every feature you can possibly give. So in, in our, our legacy product, things got really busy. They got really packed. When we switched to this new interface we call Triumph, on every screen, you could strip away every field you don't use. So we can offer all sorts of levels of complexity, but for every customer, it can feel simple because they're only showing the fields that matter. In, in, in too many software packages out there, we are stepping over so much stuff that isn't used. And it seems sort of like, okay, maybe it's not a big deal or whatever, but there's a huge hidden cost to that. And a lot of the teams we work with now, like there's no, there's, uh, there's no sympathy for like too much complexity. Just ruin everything. You, if you if you can't keep it simple, you can't really get your team to use the software and engage the level they should. If there's all sorts of workarounds and weird awkwardness that a lot of software makes us go through. The other thing is like we mimic the look and feel and the, the functionality of Excel because. We often joke, what's the most flexible and quickest to edit out there? It's Excel. That's why people always go to Excel, edit, and then want to come back. So a lot of our interfaces, they look just like Excel and the, versus the typical model where you have to like drill into an item, edit it, and then come out. Here I go with what I tell my kids. Like those two extra clicks, 
when you're editing 3,100 plant varieties, that's 6,000 extra clicks. I mean, it's it's astronomical. It seems like such a small thing, but it really adds up. Yeah. So on a lot of our screens, when you go in, you don't necessarily have to open up the inventory screen. You can go to my UPC edit, and I can go edit just like I'm in Excel or edit the name just like I'm in Excel. It seems like a small thing, and a lot of people, when I demo the software at first, it doesn't really have an impact on them, whether they think the software is good or not. But when they own it over time, they're like, oh, my gosh, this is so much faster to edit and maintain than other packages out there. And, again, it seems like such a simple thing, but we mimic Excel on purpose because it's one of the quickest ways people can manipulate data. Well, and, and, and to, to kind of say it in, in, in my words to, sorry, to yeah. uh, add on to what you're saying, Aaron, anybody that's keeping track of it on paper with the index cards in our pocket, it's – to our benefit, if you strip it down, as you say, so that we can start simple and, and it feels more comfortable and then let us make it more complex as we grow, right? Yes. Now, I, I, I will say the index card, you, you can build empires with certain things on index cards too. But I, as far as inventory systems, I'd say no. Yeah. But I did come from a family where a lot of our tasks were assigned on index cards and hands down. <laughs> it was quite effective. It, it's probably more effective than texting somebody their chores. Um, but, so I'm putting that out there. But as far as managing inventory systems, no, the index card. Yeah, yeah. But for other things, I'm still going to say the index card is pretty, pretty good tool. Well, I, yeah, I still carry them. <laughs> but, you, know, you said at the outset this was going to be a fun episode, and you uh, hit the nail on the head. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's good to be able to just talk about these things. You know, all of my things are usually I'm presenting and – People are considering us. It's nice to be able to just talk things out. It's a yeah. nice forum for that. Well, next next uh, July at Cultivate, let's all get together for lunch or dinner sometime. That'd be great. Yeah. That'd be awesome. And before we all sign off, where can our listeners find you? What's the best way to either check out your services, get in touch with you? So we're at sbigrower.com. So SBI stands for Small Business Innovations because we are trying to like innovate small businesses, make life easier for small business owners. That has always been our primary goal. So sbigrower.com is where we are. And again, um, we're always learning. We're always looking for new ideas. You know, again, we thought in 2001, we're going to make some great software and then we're just going to ship that software for years and we are still to this day innovating and updating constantly to try to improve the product. And uh, you know, great all the great features in our system have come from our customers. That we've very been, been customer driven for many many years. And so a lot of times when I show different features in our package, I have actual customer names on those features to say, "Hey, thank you for this innovation." So we're always looking for ideas, and if anybody has new ideas or things to share, we're down. Um, we we do think. Some of the counting apps, like incorporating our inventory mobile control with some of the picture apps, that when you take the picture, will bring you back a number very quickly off the picture. We do think incorporating some of those types of uh, third-party softwares into our counting and into our inventory mobile app is going to be the future to make it a little easier to verify. Um, we even did some experimenting with drones on field inventory, and those are coming back with very accurate counts, and then people could label what varieties those were. Although managing the drone was still too hard, so we need a, a drone that itself. <laughs> and once that becomes, so we, we're always looking for new things, and if people have ideas, we'd love to hear. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Grower and the Economist. 
If you enjoyed the episode, please rate it wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps us get discovered by new listeners. If you have questions, concerns, or would like to suggest a podcast topic, please email me at michelle at I love hearing from you. Until next time.